the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The popular game show, The Price is Right, has been on television since September of 1972. Since then, after over 6,500 episodes, and even switching its hosts not too long ago, one thing remains the same. Episode after episode just so happens to have one extremely high-energy contestant after a next that's ready to play with unrivaled enthusiasm. Given their long-standing success and this consistency, a news outlet not too long ago decided to run a report to figure out how this just so happens to be the case, time after time, making it one of the most successful shows in television history. The news outlet met all the potential contestants and audience members outside the studio and first discovered that it just so happens each and every contestant is individually interviewed, a photo is taken, and a document is made and sent inside to the producers before anyone enters the studio itself. It just so happens by the time every person's filed in and found their seat, they have a short list of participants that they're going to call upon. And then it just so happens that they continue to watch these contestants once they're in their seats to see if their top picks cross their arms, yawn, lose enthusiasm, or anything of the sort. And if they do, they quickly move on to their backup list. The show's producer's job is singular, to make the show entertaining every single time. And to do that, it doesn't just so happen to come about over 6,500 times, but its success is the result of careful work each and every episode. This week, as we continue, in week two of our look at stewardship through the book of Ruth. I share this because in chapter two of Ruth, to which we'll turn in just a moment, there's a series of events that just so happen to line up to set the stage for a major historical event, not just only in the nation of Israel, but as we close the book in a couple weeks in human history, as the lineage, as you know, is set up through this family that will lead to our Savior, Jesus Christ. But we know that as we look at this text, those events don't just happen. They're not happenstance, but they're orchestrated by God as part of his ordinary ways of working in the world with ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes. In fact, if you're following along in the devotional we sent you uh, this week, you'll stumble upon this line, which is a great one, that sums this up. Moments like these that we'll look at today would never have happened without human effort and could never have happened without God's unseen providential hand working in his ordinary ways. So let's tuck that away as we open to verse 1 of chapter 2 in Ruth. If you follow along in your Bible or you want to follow along on the screens, um, I believe there's one main theme and one main question that arises for us as we look at this aspect of our journey with Jesus, namely the stewardship of our days, as we use our time, our talent, and our treasure to his honor and glory, and for his working in our world today. 
Now, just to give you a memory jog from where we are um, at this point, uh, Ruth and Naomi, remember, both widows at this point, have now returned back to Bethlehem after over 10 years of being in Moab. It's there, there's been a great uh, famine in the land in Israel, and now this is the first harvest after quite some time. And Ruth and Naomi, both being widows, settling back in, began to devise a plan for their own livelihood as they get back into life in the region, or in Ruth's case, life into the region for her first uh, season. And we read in verse 2 that um, Ruth sets out to glean grain from the fields. And notice verse 3 says, So she went and set out and gleaned, fields, gleaned in the field of the reapers, and she what happened to come apart upon a field that was belonging to Boaz. Boaz, who we see in verse 1, is of the clan from which Naomi's deceased husband is a part as well. And it just so happens that at that very moment, verse 4 tells us, Boaz is coming in um, from Bethlehem. Just happens to show up at the moment that Ruth happens to be in his part of his field. And if that weren't enough, as we continue on, we discover that as Boaz gets into the area um, and begins to ask, as we see, um, of his man in charge of all the reapers, who this woman is, it just so happens that he actually knows the answer to that question and has the history of who Ruth is and how she is tending to her mother-in-law, Naomi. A lot of just so happens that line up in a short period of verses that we know have the fingerprints of God all over them. Now, at this point, it may be worth a, a quick side trip um, into Leviticus just briefly to look at what this gleaning of the fields is all about. Um, so if you've got your Bible, flip over to Leviticus 19, verse 9, where we'll look at why this is playing out in real time. It's also there before you on the screens. This is part of a larger section in Leviticus where God um, gives specific instructions to his people Israel as to how they can love their neighbor. Not just, you know, metaphorically, but very specifically in certain ways according to the law. And in Leviticus 19, verse 9, it pertains to the harvest season, where those who are landowners would not reap the harvest uh, totally, that they wouldn't take every grain and grape, but rather they would leave some so that the sojourner or the poorest of the land might have something from which to glean. It was something that God commanded so that when people passed through the region or the poorest of those in the region lived among the people of Israel, that this action would point to the generosity of God in a very specific way that they would live it out. And so they're commanded to do this. But interestingly, Ruth chapter 2 is the only place in Scripture where we actually see this in real time, in practice. Um, we see it commanded, but this is an illustration that we discover. And we notice that as we do so, Boaz is obedient, which is a first wonderful reminder. I mean, just because the law is there doesn't mean every Israelite followed it to the letter of the law, but Boaz did. Boaz allowed for that to happen. I think we shouldn't overlook how significant that is at a time such as this in Israel's history. Remember, of course, 
This is the first harvest that they've had after over 10 years of a famine in the land. No one, no one would have blamed Boaz if this were the year where he said, you know what, get it all. Uh, we, need to, we need to store up our uh, storehouses. We need to resupply. We need to hedge our efforts. We don't know if, if next year will be as good as this year. Um, no one would have batted an eye if he had said that. Sure, we know the law, but let's, let's get back into it, right, in better and more favorable seasons. But that's not what Boaz did. He trusted God. He didn't work from a place of deprivation, but a deep trust of who God is. And not only that, but um, he, he walks this out faithfully among his people. He knows what he needs. He knows what it's going to take to take care of the men and women under his care. He knows what's needed for his household, and he's content with enough. And once that's met, he trusts God with the rest, not holding back or hoarding, but being open-handed toward God, having margin so that he can share it with others. Now, if the story ended right here, we'd say, you know, Boaz is a good and commendable biblical example, which will tie the thread too, as you already kind of see in the dotted line there as it pertains to stewardship. But Boaz's generosity and obedience doesn't really even just end there. He goes from such a place of trust that he tells Ruth to go beyond what is the expectation according to the law. To allow her to glean once through his field would have been just. He would have done what was asked. But notice in verse 8, he tells her what? Don't even go anywhere else. Come back to my field day after day after day. And then as we get further into the reading, of course, he says, I'll give you protection. Um, you'll have water. Um, he invites her to dinner. He even tells um, his men under his care to not just leave grains, but even full sheaves so that she can take home what's needed. So after all this plays out, we discover that Boaz is um, this wonderful example of what the law should look like. It's not just something we must do, um, and it's not just a legalism, but Boaz understands the heart of the law itself. And it's wonderful when we think about it because um, Boaz, as we'll see in subsequent chapters, is the very one um, from whom that lineage of David and down to our Savior Jesus is set up. And Jesus in his own ministry then reaches back to talk about the heart of the law and many issues in his Sermon on the Mount. The, the, the imagery there is just rich when we think about it. But um, as we see this play out, as it reaches its conclusion at the end of this story, um, without going through every verse, uh, we have eventually reached the place where Naomi um, greets Ruth, having seen these leftovers that she's brought, um, even the Eucharistic imagery and the bread and the wine, all these things that are so rich throughout this text. She goes back. She's with her mother-in-law. And here's the kicker, which is almost the, the hanger for next week. Naomi says to her, may he be blessed when she discovers it's Boaz. And then it ends with this man is not just a relative, but our kinsman redeemer. He's the one that can make the difference. And that's what we'll look at next week. But for now, let's, let's pause. There's lots to digest there. But I'd like to pull forward this one theme to reflect on in the images of generosity um, that we look at together. And, and just one question, perhaps, that arises from this text, and it's this. Are we creating 
enough margin in our lives in this season that there's leftovers for the Lord to use in our time, in our talent, and in our treasure. In times when there's so much going on, when we think about our time, how much more can we eke out of the turnip? We can either operate from that place of deprivation or, like Boaz, a deep trust, looking at a different way of leading life, not just showing up when we can or doing what we can, but, like Boaz, learning to create enough margin in our time and in our week so that there's space, guarded space, for the Lord. It's important to have community and fellowship, but it's important to have community and fellowship with the body of believers so that we may also be built up as we are called, and we hear in Hebrews, to this stature and maturity in Christ Jesus, which is the call of every disciple as we go throughout this life. It's not easy, but maybe as we're getting back into life as we kind of know it, um, maybe as we're transitioning from hybrid back to work, or maybe we are still in a hybrid mode, or maybe you're back, but things aren't yet all in full tilt, maybe there's a point to say, maybe it doesn't all need to go back to full tilt. But maybe there's something that can be carved out there so that we can be in a healthier place as we spend more time with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we look at our abilities, we can do the same thing. Um, the, the often the default we have is we think, you know, I don't have that much to offer, which is often a cop-out we use of ourselves. Or we'll, we'll say at times, you know, um, I don't know that it'll really matter anyway. Someone else will step up and do it. Um, but let me tell you that the body of Christ won't fully function in any local context until each member uses his or her gifts and talents. Sure, we'll figure it out, but it won't be nearly as wonderful as if you were a part of it and that you exercise the gifts that God has given you. And as we take time to serve, um, it's there that others are spurred on. It's there that there's a testimony to be had. They expect those of us to do those things, but when you show up and you step into a Sunday school classroom, it speaks volumes. When you drop off a meal to the youth group and then linger a bit, it says a lot. Um, when you're out in the community, people understand there's something um, that you truly uh, have invested in more than anyone could ask or imagine. And when we talk about our treasure, we have that choice too, to operate from scarcity or from a place of strong abiding trust as we use our treasure unto the Lord. And I'm always challenged to think about the ways that we can create enough margin so that there's never even a doubt if times get rough, and I'll say in our household, we've had one of those seasons where one major expense after another has come and come and come. But as we look at all the things in our world, I'm reminded of all the little things, the $5 subscriptions to this streaming service, the $10 here, and if I create more margin, then that doubt never raises in your mind. What if we had to try to figure that out? Because we found a way to create enough boundary and margin so that those concerns don't arise. If we can learn to live with more margin, it will transform how we live and allow us to be a part of this ordinary way that God works in the world, which is quite extraordinary, that the God who creates it all deigns to partner with you and I for his plans and purposes. So are we creating enough margin in our lives to leave enough leftover in our time and our talent and our treasure to the Lord? 
And as we think about that, I think the final thing to remember is this. Um, Boaz could have operated from a place of legalism, but in a place, he comes from a place of generosity. And I think that's where we should be. It shouldn't be a begrudging, but it should be a place where we are called to be generous because of all that God has lavished upon us in each breath we take and all that he provides, and certainly in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have much to reflect on, much to give thanks for, and as we return that back to the Lord, we do so joyfully. It doesn't just happen. It requires intentionality in our place. So I'd encourage you to reflect this week and to wrestle with and take steps towards that end. And let me say, if no one's ever told you this, that it doesn't just so happen that you're a part of this church at this time doesn't just so happen that we're ramping up to look at ways to engage our community more faithfully in the name of Jesus and equip those in the body of Christ to pursue him. It doesn't just so happen you're here. There are no happenstances in God's economy, but you happen to be a part of God's ordinary ways of working in the world at such a time as this. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.